Okay, and if you skip down, so we've got, what gifts do we have so far? Yeah, two, two bracelets and a ring. And I think, some, who told us last week their translation said nose ring? Nita? That's, I think that's the NIV. So it's not clear whether it's a nose ring or a, a finger ring. Okay, it could be, could be either. Um, doesn't change. It's just, it depends on whatever the custom was. Um, right? Uh, the, ancient, the ancient women had different fashions than modern women. I know that shocks us all. Uh, but nose rings, apparently that was, I don't see any nose rings this morning. Jason? I know it's still a thing, but I don't see anyone in the room with the nose ring. Um, and I, when I proposed to Liz, I didn't even, I never, it never crossed my mind to get her a nose ring. And she still, she still accepted the proposal. So um, there's one other mention of gifts. If you go down to verse, uh, where is it? Look down at verse 52. So they go back to the house, and the servant of Abraham uh, tells the whole story of what happened, and uh, then he gives the proposal, not in those explicit terms, right? But that's what he's doing, and the proposal is accepted. And if you look down at verse 52, uh, Mike, would you read for us again uh, 52 through 54? Okay, so we've got a few more gifts, some more jewelry, and what else is included here? Garments, right? Clothing, which comes up quite often in the Bible that people are giving um, clothes. Uh, of course, that's still a common gift, but it's probably not quite as expensive now as it was then, right? If you think of a time before uh, all the new, all the modern ways that you can make clothing, uh, it was, they did not have nearly as big of a wardrobe as even the poorest among us, right? Um, so to give someone more clothing was not just like when your mother-in-law gives you another sweater at Christmas. Thanks, Mom. I'll put it with the other one. Right? It was it was much more expensive. Yeah. Sure. Yes. I mean, this is this is nice stuff. Oh, I think they would have worn it. Whatever it was, it wasn't socks and underwear. You're right. This is, this is costly stuff. This is fine stuff. And to give someone, um, I think there's a story with Samson where he says, if you can solve my riddle, I'll give you 30 changes of clothes and, uh, or something like that. I might have the numbers wrong. And we read that and think, what's the big deal? You know, just go to Macy's and get yourself, go online. Where's our mailman? Um, go online and buy some clothes online, right? For us, it's very easy to get clothing. But the point here is this is a, a fancy gift. A nice gift, okay? Now, on the board here, we did this last week. Does anyone remember the, the cost of these things? We get the weight of them. The Bible is interested in the weight, not the cost, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? 
Um, but does anyone remember the cost? Yeah, the gold, if you do the math, we won't do it again this morning, but if you do the math and you use modern, you know, the, the cost of gold right now or the value of gold right now, you get to about $9,000, which is, I don't know, is that expensive or not expensive? Depend, if you ask the husbands in the room, it's really expensive. And if you ask the wives, it's exactly what she deserved, right? <laughs> She's getting just what she deserves. Um, but it, the, the point here is, it is these are expensive gifts, okay? Um, and the interest in weight just shows you uh, a little bit of a, a slight difference in thinking about gold. Um, I know we've mentioned this before, but why is gold precious? What's precious about gold? Hard to find, for one, right? So the, the less uh, easily accessible a thing is, the more value, it's simple economics, supply and demand stuff. Why else is gold desirable? It's heavy, right? It's more dense than other metals. It's not nearly as strong as other metals. If you had to make something, if you make something out of gold, if you have a 24 karat, you know, gold necklace, that can get all bent up and, and all kinds of things. So it's not what you want to build uh, a building out of, but it's ornamental. Uh, and in fact, when they build the tabernacle and the temple, everything gets overlaid in gold, except the bits where uh, they're going to be holding weight. Because if you make rings, just think, if we wanted to really make this podium glorious, we could cover it in gold, right? But then if we wanted to stick poles through it so we could easily pick it up and move it around, what would happen if those rings were made out of gold? They'd probably, over time, eventually they'd bend. And so the gold that gets used for, uh, for carrying has to be reinforced. Uh, but, but Jeff is right on the money. The density of gold, the heaviness of gold, is really uh, the, the point biblically. And that word heaviness, uh, in Hebrew, the word glory means heavy. Right? So when something is glorious, the word that they would use would be heavy, which... For all of you who uh, lived through the 60s and the 70s, um, you used that term, right? When something was cool, that was heavy, man, right? Um, and when you talk about something really important, that's heavy stuff. This is a heavy topic, okay? Um, all of that is just little ways that the idea of glory still goes with weight. Um, and some of you who are, uh, you know, if we have any Renaissance men in the room, you want to have gravitas, what is gravitas? It's gravity, it's presence, it's glory. You, you want to be a man who, or a woman for that matter, who is, has some gravity to them. So you're not just blown around through the air. You want to have something solid. Okay? So when Isaac gives Rebecca these gifts, he's giving her glory. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But think through, why, what is Rebecca supposed to think when she gets these gifts? I think we mentioned this last, last week, is she, uh, Isaac is showing her that he can provide for her, right? If somebody gives you $9,000 as a gift, they're probably going to be able to take care of you. Right, LaDonna? I don't know your habits, but I would imagine if your husband said, here, before we're even married, here's $9,000, dear, um, I'm going to take care of you. Okay, this guy can, he can take care of me. So there's a, a provision here, security, okay? 
Uh, what about this one? Is he trying to buy her love? Does that ever work? Can you buy someone's love? A lot of people are arrested for it. <laughs> <laughs> you can... You can it can kind of work, right? If somebody gives me, I mean, for Christmas this year, I'll, I'll bring us, uh, I'll bring pastor's wish list next week and I'll pass it out with your congregation at prayer. But if, if somebody, you know, gives me like a $2,000 gift for Christmas, I'm probably going to like that person, you know? I'm, at least I'm going to temporarily think, wow, Phil, that was really nice. Of course, the more I think about it, the more I might think, what's he trying to do, you know? Uh, and so buying love, you, that's not really in the, in the picture here. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not talking about just romantic love. Um, this, the idea of a dowry is in here. Um, but the, see, when, when I say dowry, I've had this debate with people before with Jason, I think. Um, and Jason was worried because Jason has four daughters. And he's trying to think, how am I supposed to, how am I going to pay um, yeah, the dowry? But in the Bible, who gets the money? Who, who pays the dowry? The guy, right? He pays her. And her, he pays her and he pays her family. So you just have to insist, if you want to marry a brown girl, you got to, it's got to be biblical. We're doing our, our dowries the biblical way, okay? And he does give gifts, to Catherine's point, he does give gifts to the family, but who are the first gifts given to? To Rebecca. You know, she gets the bracelets. She gets the ring. It belongs to her. She doesn't have to give that to Laban. And her dad is not in the picture. We mentioned that last week. I should just repeat it. Dad is not part of the negotiation. Maybe he's already in the grave. Maybe not. But the one who she's really, who the servant is negotiating with is, is Laban. Okay? Now, Rebecca is going to have something to say about it. This is not happening against her will. Um, and that's going to come out in a minute here. Uh, when, well, I don't know if it'll be a minute. But at the end of the chapter, there's this question put to her, are you ready to go or do you want to wait? And she says, I'm, let's go. I don't want to wait any longer. I want to go and marry him. So uh, you're right. There's not like the, the idea of falling in love here is not really, it's not at the front of the story. Um, we've looked at before in previous weeks what makes Rebecca the right kind of woman to marry. Uh, and it's not just because she, you know, made Isaac so happy. And when he was around her, he felt a certain kind of way. Um, now, it is going to say that he loves her, uh, but it's not, they don't even see each other until it's already worked out, okay? So, I think if you look up on the board here, the, the third reason is really the point. Isaac is glorifying Rebecca. She gains glory through the gifts that are given to her, okay? She, he's making her heavy. He's making her shine. If you just think Think about this thing uh, visually. She's, she's starting to sparkle a little bit. Okay? And that really is, I think that picture anyways, is consistent with what the Bible says husbands do for their wives. You husbands are supposed to, and you can do this more or less, but 
to really do what you're supposed to do, you want to make your wife shine. You want to make her heavy. <laughs> okay? You, you, let me repeat that. Husband, the, the duty of a husband is to make his wife heavy. It's, sorry, you want to be heavy, right? The way that we're meaning it here is glorious. You want to make her glorious, all right? So let's look a little bit more at, at this. Uh, and you can go to Ephesians chapter 5, or you can just look up at the board. Anytime we're talking about marriage in the Bible, Ephesians 5 is going to have to come into the picture for us, right? This is the great place where Paul talks about husbands and wives and Christ and the church. And here's what Paul says in Ephesians 5 about husbands. He says, Husbands, love your wives and give them gold. <laughs> love your wives, that's what he says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed, that should be a D there, I can't type, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Now, splendor is not the same word as glory, right? But there's an overlap. We've been talking about glory being heavy, glory being shiny. That's another reason people like gold. Ooh, shiny. That's shiny. We like shiny things, okay? So the husband is going to make his wife have splendor. Um, and what kind of splendor are we talking about? Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So guys, you have to make her heavy and you have to smooth out all her wrinkles. You have to keep her wrinkle-free. That's your job. It's a, um, you buy gold and you get yourself an iron. That's your job. And you get rid of all the spots and wrinkles. Or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Okay? And, uh, and I just love this passage because part you read this at a wedding, and everybody's looking at the bride, and she's, I don't know, she, of course, to the husband, she gets more and more beautiful over time. But the bride's goal on her wedding day is to be the prettiest she's ever going to be, right? That's why you want the pictures taken on your wedding day. Um, but what Paul, so you read this at a wedding and everybody looks at the bride and says, wow, no spots on her, no wrinkles, everything is just the way it's supposed to be. And then, of course, the next day comes and all the wrinkles and spots come back. But the, the purpose of the, the husband's role is throughout his life, not just on the day of the wedding, but throughout life, is to make, you know, remove all those spots and wrinkles and any such thing. Okay? So let's think about Isaac and Rebecca. What did Isaac give for Rebecca? Gold and clothes and ornaments. All right? What does Christ give for the church? Say it louder. Himself. Himself. Okay, this is key. Husbands, you can give your wife lots of things. You can give them lots of money. You can give them nice cars, nice clothes. But if you don't give your wife yourself, what's she always going to say? It's not enough. I need more. I need more from you. Right? The real gift is not gold or silver or stones or anything like that, right, ladies? Those things are nice, and we'll talk about the role of those things in a minute, 
But the real thing that the wife needs from her husband is himself. What does that mean? Okay, think about it for Jesus. What did it mean for Jesus to give himself for the church? He gave his life. He shed his blood. Okay? He died for her sins. All right? Do husband, are husbands supposed to die for the sins of their wife? No. Right? You, you do not imitate Jesus by doing every... It's not exact repetition. You, you can't do it. You can't die for the sins of the world. Right? So husbands are not to die... They're not supposed to repeat everything that Jesus did for the church. But you imitate. And as you imitate Christ, you find out there's lots of ways that I give myself for my wife. Right? So you can think of the way Jesus takes up the church's problems as if they were his. Why should he die? What did they say at his trial? What did Pilate say? This man's innocent. This man's innocent. Why should we kill him? He's done nothing wrong. The sentence was innocent, and he died anyways. Okay? So the husband can say all day long, look, dear, um, you know, <laughs> this is your problem. You got yourself into it. You get yourself out of it. But the, the picture here and the calling of the husband is even if it's your wife's fault, she, you know, she spent too much on the credit card. That happens, doesn't it? That happens sometimes. Yeah, I'm just, I know that doesn't happen in your marriages, but that happens in marriages. And the husband can't just sit back and say, hey, you got yourself into it, you get yourself out of it. Okay, that's, a, that's kind of a silly example, but there's, there's a million ways that this plays out. Okay? So it's not just the gift of a thing, but the gift of yourself. Now, does that mean that you should never give things? What, what good is giving presents? What's the point of giving presents? Honor somebody else. You honor someone else? Good. Why else do you do it? Make other people happy. Yeah, it's good to bring home flowers, right? Um, I, I bought Liz flowers, and this woman, older woman, was behind me. I, it's not like I do this all the time, so please don't think I'm bragging. I just saw them at Kroger, and I had spent 30 minutes trying to find the hash browns. I couldn't find the hash browns, but I found the flowers, so I bought flowers. And this woman behind me goes, oh, that's nice. You're buying those for your husband or for your wife. Yeah, right. Um, and I said, yep, she should have pretty things. And uh, she goes, that's good. When mine gives me those, I know he's done something wrong. <laughs> okay, so you're not, doing, you're not giving things to buy your wife off, although maybe you do that uh, sometimes. Uh, but the purpose of a... Uh, of a present is it's a token of love. And you want it to be not an empty, you don't want to give empty tokens. Empty tokens make things worse. I don't know if you've ever had that. You get a gift from somebody, like Phil gives me a $2,000 Christmas gift. I know he's trying to make up for something or he's, he's working an angle. I know he's going to be in my office the next day saying, all right now, pastor, time to pay back. So that's not in the picture here. But the gift of self goes with the gift of um, with things. All right. Now, what is the effect of this love? What is the effect of Christ's love on the church? When he gives himself for us, and he still continues to give himself to us, what is the effect? 
Paul mentioned a minute ago, we give presents to somebody to make them happy. Okay, so does that... Okay, he gives us an example. Think about it in, in marriage terms. When, the, when Christ loves the church, what does that effect in the church? Say it louder. What what did you say? Oh, he well that's what he does. He loved us, but it's always there's an effect to the love. The love of Christ for the church doesn't just here's some things. I love you. Okay, thank you. Okay, there's there's a return on it, but that's not quite. Um, let me put it this way: it's not simply that Jesus wants you to love him more. He does, and we ought to respond in kind, right? Um, Paul says, oh, no one anything except that you love one another. And we could think of the Christian life as we're always trying to put each other in the debt of love. I'm always trying to outdo you, okay? But there's something else that happens when you love, when you husbands love your, the wives have their hands up, so we'll see if anybody can get them. Um, what happens to the woman when the husband loves her? Okay, sure, yeah. So the, the response is uh, respect, which is what we're going to look at in a minute here. Okay, yeah, that, a completion is a good word. Lorraine, you want to add anything to it? Okay, it makes you more loving. Here, here's the, see if this, I don't know, maybe there's no distinction here, but love bestows loveliness. So if you think about what Paul is saying here, when Christ loves the church and washes her with water and the word, he doesn't go on to say, so that she becomes more loving. Look what it says. So that she would be, have splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So when Christ loves the church, it makes the church, yes, respond the right way in respect and love and all these things. But what it does is it makes the church lovely. Does that, make, does that distinction make any sense? He loves us and we become lovely. I mean, if you really think about it, this is a bad deal for Jesus. He married really poorly, right? He married us and we were not lovely. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, he reconciled his enemies. And, but what happens over time is that the church actually becomes lovely, all right? Uh, and that is the same thing that happens in a marriage. When a husband loves his wife, lo and behold, this is the way it's supposed to work, it gets easier to love her because she becomes more and more lovely. At first, it's hard <laughs> because all you want to do when you first get married is think about yourself, right? <laughs> This is, always, this is always the challenge of the first couple of years. Uh, you just think, man, now I have to think about somebody else. Now I have to take care of somebody else. But over time, she becomes more and more lovely. Okay? And we'll look at what happens, because there's something similar. There's a similar effect when the wife respects her husband. Uh, it doesn't make her a doormat. He actually becomes, there's an effect on these things. Love is efficacious and respect is efficacious. And this is always, when I, when I do uh, any marriage counseling, this is always the hardest thing. Because what does the husband want to say? I'll love her when she deserves it. 
I'll love her when she changes A, B, C. All the reasons that were in here, Pastor, if she could just fix this, that, and the other thing, then I would love her. And what does the wife say? <laughs> the exact same thing. I'll respect him if and when he does these things. And so somebody has to make the first move. Somebody has to, the, the um, cycle gets like this, somebody has to start turning it the other way. The screw has to start getting uh, unscrewed. And at first it's really hard, but it becomes easier and easier over time. Yes? I've worked in communication for a Efficacious means it's effective. It, it actually accomplishes something. Efficacious. It, it, it accomplishes its purpose. God's word is efficacious. The sacraments are efficacious. They're not empty symbols. They actually give the grace that they portray. Um, yeah, and Christ's love, it actually has an effect in the church. She doesn't just say, you know, if we put it in Rebecca and Isaac terms, Rebecca gets, gets the gold bracelets, and she doesn't say, where's more? <laughs> right? She says, oh, I want to go with this guy. I want to be with him. All right? Okay, uh, let's see. What slide do I have next here? All right, uh, let's look a little bit more, since Paul asked about efficacious. How does that work in the church? If you look up Revelation 19, we're going to spend a little time in these Revelation passages. So the gift Christ gives to the church is himself, not just his things, but if you have a person's self, you get their things thrown in, right? So he does give us things, too. Uh, but look at Revelation 19, verse 6. Here's what it says. Then I, I being John, the apostle, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out. This is what it sounds like when uh, you are at the front of church and you're all singing the hymns. It's the sound of many waters and of the bells ringing. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. So the bride of Christ has really nice clothes. What is this linen? Well, if we keep reading, we find out. For the fine linen is the, the righteous deeds of the saints. So the effect of Christ's love here is that the bride, we are, in, in, some, in some sense, we are always passive before God. We receive the gifts of salvation. Faith is passive. We receive righteousness. We receive uh, holiness. We receive glory. But um, God doesn't want us as couch potatoes. And so what we receive passively actually has an effect in us. So the good works that we do are, that's your clothing. You're getting into your fine linen. You're putting on your uh, wedding dress. Okay? Um, I've never done that, but I hear it's always fun 
to go wedding sh uh, dress shopping. Meg is smiling, so she, uh, you can tell the stories later, Meg, right? But that's the Christian life. Your good deeds are trying on the wedding dress, getting fitted out, okay? All right, so we've got good works. Go to Revelation 21, verse 2. Twenty-one, verse two. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared, adorned. Would be another. Uh, no, it's going to say adorned in a minute. But uh, the Greek word there is really interesting. It's the word we get cosmetics from. So you go to cosmetology school, and what do you learn? In, did anybody go to cosmetology school? Nita, what do they teach you how to do in cosmetology school? How to make it all symmetrical, yeah, and make the shadows work. How to cover up the wrinkles. How That's right, yeah. <laughs> beauty, beauty is often in the eye of the beholder. Yeah, right? You really, the church really will look good in the end. So uh, the, that word prepared could also, it, she's cosmetized. She's gone through the cosmet. They brought in, Christ brought in the best cosmet. Cosmetologist, the Holy Spirit. He's the best cosmetologist. He gets rid of all the spots and wrinkles and any of that stuff. And so in on the last day, this is how we appear, without spot or wrinkle or anything, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Okay? This is what it means for Christ's love to be efficacious. Maybe that's a big, too big of a word. It means it makes the girl look good, right? Makes her pretty. <laughs> yeah, that's good, right? That's, that's what the church, when you come to church, this is a good way to think about church, Nita. When you come into church on Sunday morning, we're, we're Mary Ruth Grumley coming into the, cosmeto the, to the Holy Spirit and saying, make me pretty. I need a lot of work, right? And look what, think about the service. What happens? How does it start? Confession and absolution then the preaching of the word, then the sacrament of the altar. This is the, this is the cosmetology of the Holy Spirit. This is how he makes you beautiful. And then you go out and you try a few things, and at first it feels a little weird because you're always self-conscious about your new hair and your makeup, but the more you kind of do it, the more natural it becomes. Okay? One more passage. If we look at uh, verse 9 and following... Listen to the beauty here, okay? Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and he spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem. Wait, I thought we were going to see a bride. This is weird. Showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Well, who does the glory belong to? Is it the city's glory or is it God's glory? 
but it, the city has it. If I, I have this Bible, whose is it? it? It's mine. This is mine. This is mine. It has my name on it. It's mine. This is mine. I have this now. Possession is nine-tenths the law. This is mine. <laughs> but this is, the, this is the whole point. This is the beauty of it. What God gives you, you actually possess. His glory, the gift of glory, it's yours now. He's not a, this is an incorrect term, but I'm going to say it, because you know me. He's not an Indian giver, right? When he gives it to you, it belongs to you. It's yours. Now, it's yours by faith, and we could go through the whole gymnastics. Here you go. Uh, but he gives it to you, and it's yours. You actually become glorious, okay? So we keep reading here, and lo and behold, has the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And if we kept reading, we would find out there's all kinds of jewels all over this city, uh, and it's really pretty. It's really glorious. Right? Now, before... What was the glory of the bride? Her fine linen. And what did we find out the flat fine linen was? The deeds of the saints. So apply that same thing here. In the end, your works will shine. When you rise, right, this is, we, we make a distinction here. We will all share in the same bliss. There are not degrees of bliss. Everyone shares in the same bliss, and I'm just going to be happy to be there, right? But different saints will shine differently because your works are different than mine, are different than Mary's, are different than Paul's, and some works are probably going to shine brighter than other works. And instead of being jealous about that or envious, what will that lead us to do? We're going to say, yeah, that's right. St. Paul should be closer to the throne than Pastor Uphold. Right? Nobody's going to debate that. I'm going to be happy that he's closer there. I'm just going to be happy to, to appear. Um, so the, there's a, a distinction in glory. There are degrees of this beauty, even though there's a, a similarity of bliss, peace and bliss. Okay? Do we want to say anything else about this efficacious love? This is the final. We're seeing kind of the, the end goal, the final picture. And so far, all we've said is the husbands. So should we talk about the wives, too? You want me to say anything to wives? I, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate your honesty, Meg. I appreciate your honesty. All right, go back to Ephesians 5, because we have to say something about wives. We have to. The story is not just about Isaac. Isaac needs Rebecca. Adam needs Eve. Christ needs the church. I know that sounds weird, but he actually needs the church. And husbands wouldn't be husbands without wives. Okay? So husbands need wives. And what Paul says in Ephesians 5 shows us the flip side of the coin. So Ephesians 5, and he actually speaks to the wives first and then to the husbands, but starting at verse 22, um, 
Here's what it says in Ephesians. Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay, what's the word that jumps off the page? Submit. Uh, does anyone have a different translation? No? Even the NIV? Okay, some, I know sometimes the... Okay, sometimes I know the translations will use the word respect uh, or I'm trying to think of what the other one is. Uh, but that's the word that when we read this at weddings, uh, and I preach on this at weddings, this is what, if anyone's going to say anything about the sermon at a wedding, it's going to be about the word submit. Uh, it always is, without fail. Most of the time, nobody says anything because everyone's just thinking about food, right? Uh, but occasionally, somebody will say, oh, pastor, I noticed the word submit, and, you know, they want to talk about that. So uh, what's the connotation of submission? How does that make us feel, or what's the association we have with submission? Positive or negative? Subservient. Okay, subservient. This is just, we're playing word association here. What do you associate with submission? Negative, weak, hierarchy, hierarchy less than, inferior, right? Um, I, I usually mention this in a wedding sermon. We think of dogs and their masters, right? The inferior. So the, the husband, and if that's your picture of marriage, um, we don't have enough time, right? Um, but if that's the picture here, no wonder that a woman wouldn't, would hear this and say, I don't want anything to do with that. So it's not the submission of an inferior to a, someone who is better than them. Or, so, now, the, the Bible does talk about weakness, but it's not a value judgment, right? If I say I'm stronger than you, that do, I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm just saying I can lift more weight than you. The simple, it, it is a matter of fact, not, ha, 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 I'm so much better. Now, boys usually think that, right? Especially high school boys, whichever one of us can lift more, I'm better than you, right? Uh, but that's not the way the Bible's talking about it. So uh, we want to get away from inferiority. And uh, Ben used the word, what word did you say? Hierarchy. Hierarchy. Or an or, there's an order here, okay? And the different parts, the different pieces... <coughs> play different roles. So when the Bible talks of submission, it's not a value judgment. It's a judgment of there's different roles here. So think of the military. This is always the best hierarchy example, right? Um, who is uh, who's a better soldier, the lieutenant or the private? private. <laughs> the private. Who's a better soldier, the captain or the lieutenant? The captain, he's higher in the hierarchy, right? Just like the lieutenant is above the private. But the private might be a way better soldier. You, you could ask the captain, he would say it's the captain, right? Uh, but the, the point is, it's not a question of who is better than, it's a question of what is, where's the place? What's my place? And when I find my place, um, who's smarter, the wife or the husband? The wife, right? It depends on the couple, right? But even if the wife is smarter, m better looking, maybe she's even stronger physically, that doesn't, she's still the wife. That doesn't change the role. You get my point there? So we want to we think hierarchically, not a matter of superiority. Okay? 
Um, now, this other reading here, 1 Peter 3, this gets to the, the question of what happens when the wife respects her husband or submits to her husband. Just like the love of the husband for the wife is efficacious, I can teach you good words, right? Um, the respect of a wife for her husband is also efficacious. Here's how it sounds in 1 Peter. Likewise, wives, be subject, same word, submit, to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So what happens when the wife respects her husband? What, is, what does Peter say might happen? You might win him over. You might exercise a bit of authority over him. In a, in a, I know that's a, maybe twisting the word, because when we think of authority, we think of force. And the force here, this is the, the special kind of authority that God has given to women, right? Is that the force of a woman overcomes the man, but not when she tries to, you know, let's say an arm wrestling match. Let's see who's better, me or you, right? If, if my wife did that to me, um, I would beat her. <laughs> Really impressive, isn't it? But it would not get, that's not what she wants. And I've had many wives say, well, pastor, uh, it's, not, it's not just that I want him to do what I want. This is going to sound convoluted. It's not just that I want him to do what I want, but I want him to want to do the things I want. Do you see the difference? The wives in the room know it, right? And that is what respect actually effects. Right? You, you can, wives, you can do all kinds of things to get your husbands to do the things you want. But you know that it's not just the action. I don't just want him to bring me flowers. I want him to mean it. I want him to think of me when he's out. Right? And that's what this respect or this submission does. So it goes on. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, in God's sight, is very precious. Now, when it says precious, what does that make us think of? Gollum, right? <laughs> My precious. Gold. Gold. This is how we tie it all in together. This is the real gold. The real gold that a woman wears that never fades away, that is, Im hear the word imperishable, it never corrodes, is an internal matter. Now, it comes out in all kinds of different ways, right? And we don't have enough time to explain all the different ways that this um, gentleness comes out of a woman. But it is really the most beautiful thing. Diamonds are nice, they sparkle. And wrinkles, when, when there are no wrinkles, it's all wonderful. But those things fade fairly quickly. Um, this is what lasts. Yeah. It's kind of like um, the whole thing, Christ gives himself for the church. So just like Jesus doesn't just say, here's a bunch of things, he gives us himself. But if he gives us himself, he also, what, what do you get when you get me? You get all, all my baggage, right? You get all my stuff. 
Okay, and uh, I think the same thing is true here. It's not necessarily never wear any jewelry. Never uh, put on a pair of earrings. If you do that, you're sinning. That's wrong. What it's saying is don't let it be purely external. The gentle and quiet spirit that's true beauty will come out in all kinds of really honestly beautiful ways. Uh, and it might include a ring. It might include a necklace. It might include the way that a woman um, wears her hair. But those things, if you just have the external stuff and not the internal, it would be like a husband who, you know, comes home and says, here's your groceries. I'll see you tonight. And he walks downstairs, right? He provided for her. Isn't the role of the husband to provide? What did he do wrong? He got all the stuff, but he didn't give himself, right? And the same thing could happen with a woman. She's got all the outer beauty, but not the, not the inner stuff. Does that help? Yeah. Well, let's, let's go back. Let's finish up the story in uh, Genesis 24. And I think you'll see what makes Rebecca, uh, because Isaac gives her the gold, right? So he gives her the nice stuff. But I think there's something more beautiful about Rebecca than the gold. We've already, we've talked about it in previous weeks. We didn't read it here today. What did she do in the first place that made the servant say, she's the right girl? She gave water, not just to the servant, but to the camels. And we talked about this whole the, hospital, the hospitality and the service and this willing spirit, right, is beautiful. Well, right, behind all of this, God is the matchmaker, right? And that's why the servant prays and he says, God, show me the right girl. Let her be this, let her do these things. And sure enough, here comes Rebecca and she does those things, Okay. Uh, but look at, um, at the end here of chapter 24. Uh, where did we leave off? Where did the presence stop? Verse 55. Her brother's name is Laban, by the way. You know that name, Laban. Her brother, Laban, and her mother said, Let the young woman, Rebecca, remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, this is the servant, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away, that I may go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So this willing spirit, she, she's not um, hesitant. She doesn't want to hold back. She wants to go. And I think that's part of the beauty here of Rebekah, is this um, she, it's a sign of her love, right? I know there's no, they haven't seen each other yet. There's, it's not like my heart is overflowing when I think of his voice. She's never even heard his voice. She doesn't know if he has a good sense of humor or a bad sense of humor, but she loves him and she's going. She makes her choice and then she loves her choice. Maybe that's the way to put it. She makes her choice and she loves her choice. Just like Christ makes his choice 
and then he loves his choice. No, bra no buyer's remorse. <laughs> he knows what he's getting into, and he does it anyways. All right, so they sent away Rebecca and their sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And if you skip down, verse uh, 62, here's the, uh, the first time they meet. Now Isaac had returned from Beer. What is a Beer? Well. A well. From Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac, Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her, her veil and covered herself. And what did that make her, more or less beautiful? More. This is the mystery of veils. When you, wear, when you put a veil on something, it draws attention to it. It doesn't just say, oh, don't look here. But the veil actually, oh, what's behind that? It excites the imagination. Uh, and that is part of, you know, outwardly, the external stuff of the Old Testament is matched by the, you know, you might think of it this way, one way to think about old to new is the move from external to internal. That doesn't leave the externals behind. Okay? So we, are ve we veil ourselves in those good works and become more beautiful by doing it. Okay, so she puts on the veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Okay? Abraham and Sarah fading away. Now who's on the front? Isaac and Rebekah. Okay? Next week, we'll do the last chapter of Abraham in chapter 25. And uh, if we can get through it all, then that sets us up for, uh, in January, we're going to switch from stories, Abraham, we're going to go to wisdom, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, Song of Songs. And we're not going to do verse by verse We'll kind of do some, um, some more kind of bigger picture stuff. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you um, that your love is efficacious in us, uh, that it changes us, that it converts us, that it makes us lovely. We pray that we would respond uh, in our turn with always greater respect and love for you, that we would be made lovely, um, not just for you, uh, but for our witness to the whole world. Bless us now as we go to our homes or as we go into your house to worship. In your name we pray. Amen.